0: Welcome to another installment of the I Test for Two, except this isn't just another installment, Ara. This is a special, special edition, the Election Day edition, of the iTest Test for Two podcast. Uh, also happens to be National Sandwich Day, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about <laughs> the election. I'm Clark Judge, along with Ira Kaufman, Alice Cooper, whom you just heard, and our producer, Ian Glendon. Um, we're going to we're gonna go through a lot of questions here, guys, today, and hopefully we'll have some of those questions answered by somebody other than either lawyers or judges at the end of the day. But I wanna start this podcast going back to the title, Election Day. I'm gonna ask you some election questions. Let's start with the most timely one. Did you guys vote? Ira, have you voted? Of course. I got
1: a hanging chat in my patio right now. I'm, I'm all set. Uh, I did. I voted early last week. Waited about a half an hour, looked around to see if anybody was going to harass me online. Uh, one guy told me to put my mask on. I said, uh, thank you very much. Um, and I didn't have any problem. Uh, and I understand, Clark, that
0: you waited till election day and got out there with your lovely bride. I did. We were in line at seven this morning. Line went around the corner. This is not a small town of 6,000. Line went around the corner. How about you, Ian? I know you're down in Florida. Have you voted?
2: Uh, for the first time in my life, I uh, actually did something proactively, and I voted early because there is not a chance in the world I would have gone through the nonsense that would have been today, voting in lines, waiting in lines. I yeah. I did it early, so I, I'm proud of myself for doing that because I, I don't know if I would have actually gone out today and done it.
0: That would be you and about 100 million of your classes.
2: And uh, Clark, as usual,
1: Clark, <laughs> Clark, as usual, all eyes on Florida everybody looks at the sunshine state as, as the
0: bellwether state for what's going to happen in this election. What do well, we got not, going on down here, Clark? Not everybody, Ira, because i am gonna be honest with you guys, I got a spoiler alert for you. We got some election results. The, the first ballots are already in. I don't know if you heard this, but we have the results of the first voting today, and we'll take you to Dixville-Notch, New Hampshire, where Joe Biden... Joe Biden swept, he did, he swept the township. He won all five of the votes that were cast, all five. And I guess, guys, if you're living in a place called Dixville Notch, you should have some kind of trade-off, and maybe this is it. Um, as you mentioned, Ira, you're in Florida, Ian, and you're in Florida. Um, what are the lines like there? And also, are there precautions that have taken, in in case of... Um, You know, civil unrest. I know there is in New York and in urban areas. They're boarding up places. But what about down there, IRA?
1: Well, I saw that giant gate around the White House, Clark. I mean, it's uh, nobody can scale that thing. I mean, it's you know, Rambo can't go over that thing. So uh, we don't have anything like that down here. I don't think we're anticipating uh, any any civil unrest, no matter which way it it goes. And Clark, tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe by tonight, unlike a lot of states, Clark, we're going to kind of know. Maybe where Florida stands uh, in terms of the Electoral College in this election, because they started counting votes, Clark, weeks ago in right. Florida. They didn't
2: wait
0: till Election Day. So I think we're going to know something about Florida. Well, that's because there are a lot of people like you two who have done early voting, as I said, you know, 100, close to 100 million people early voting. And I think there was something like 75 percent of those who voted in the 2016 election. That's extraordinary. I mean, really it's extraordinary. But um, anyway, I, I think this is a special day. I know it's an anxious day. Um, my wife said she's not gonna watch TV tonight because she's nervous. You can watch TV either. Uh, You know, Clark, in uh,
1: 2016, it was our anniversary. It was our 30, uh, 35th anniversary. We went out for a nice Italian meal, Clark. The flowers, the wine, the cheese plate, the dessert, Then we got home and made one of the biggest mistakes in my life. I turned on the television. The first thing I heard within one minute, it appears we are casting Florida for the Republican uh, Donald Trump. And I turned off the television and I said, uh, let's go to sleep.
0: Oops, I think we know where Iris stands here. Uh, Ian, you gonna watch tonight?
2: I might pay attention to Twitter but I think I got a uh, classic uh, James Bond movie marathon lined Ooh. up for tonight. <laughs> yeah, you know, to keep myself away from the uh, all the action on television. I will I'll, I'll pay attention through Twitter but I can put my phone down pretty easily. Make sure you save gold and hey, make it a of course, of course. Make it a Sean Connery. Yeah. Make it a Sean Absolutely. Connery Bond. that. oh right. no, of course, of course. That's I cool. actually, I actually just uh, bought a bunch of the DVDs because I wanted the DVDs, the physical copies, uh, about two or three weeks ago. So it's it's perfect time. Well, it's it's a good time for me to be able to 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 put those to use tonight. And I I think staying away from TV is probably the uh, the best course of action.
0: Okay, well, speaking of good times, guys, this would be a good time to tell people what's in store for them today, other than election questions. Uh, We're going to sit down with former tight end Anthony Beck, who spent time with the Jets and also with the Tampa Bay Bucks. He's gone on to a media career, and uh, we want to get his take on the M-E-S-S mess, mess, mess. That would be the Jets. Hear what he has to (laughs) say about them. Um, We're also going to give you an update on voting, yeah, voting for the Hall of Fame's Semifinal class for the class of 2021. Ira, just a guess Peyton Manny, Charles Woodson, Megatron, probably going to make the semifinalist list, right?
1: Yeah, that, those might
0: be the final three guys I check off. But uh, yeah, it's a sure a bet. And then we're going to hear about a notable 1994 49ers game where a Hall of Fame quarterback was actually pulled in the middle of the game. It was the third quarter. But before we do, uh, I want to take a quick spin around the league. And Ira, I'll start with you because you're in Tampa. Last night's game. Bucks Giants comes down to two point conversion and it comes down to your favorite call. This would be a great week to have Mike Pereira on. Unfortunately, we're a week too early. And that call I would be no pass interference.
1: Pick that flag up, Clark. And you know what? Uh, And I know people are going to say it's because I'm down here in Tampa and Ian's in St. Petersburg. Uh, It was the right non-call. They did it right. Antoine Winfield... Clark, who's a heck of a rookie, I think he's in the conversation for a rookie defensive player of the year, Um, played a strong game and made the play, and I think his timing was right. Uh, On first glance, maybe, it looked like he got there early, but Clark, the more you looked at it, the more you said, the guy just made a good play, give him the
0: credit, Bucks win. You know, are up here in Connecticut, a little bit of a different perspective.
2: We're kind of in that greater New York area. Sure, looks like pass interference to me. Interference. Uh, Ian, Ian, what'd you think, Ian? What'd you think? You know, I, I I'm surprised. I'm going to have to uh, side with the guy who shares the same first initial as I do. And uh, I look what I, I I prefer that you. I mean, to me, that's a football play. And when when you slow it down, you can make any play look like it's pass interference. But it. it in real time, it, it, the ball hit uh, Antoine Winfield, who I'm going to pat myself on the back, and I had the Bucks taking pre-draft. It's the only thing I got right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride that until I can't ride it anymore. But I, I just I look at that as that play would have basically rewarded Daniel Jones for making a poor play, and to me, I think it was so close that the D, uh, the offense has enough advantages as it is. I mean. If we start giving them ticky tacky advantages like that, it's just going to go off the rail. So I like the non call. I like that it got picked up. And uh, I hope they keep uh, calling it like that from here on out.
0: Well, now I know why we call this the eye test for two, because it's I as in Ira and Ian. Uh, speaking you know, of Daniel clock, Jones. It,
1: clock, it reminded me a little bit of the Malcolm Butler uh, interception. Um, not, you know, a game of that magnitude, but that was a bang bang play. And you could I think you could make an argument that Butler. Make contact with that receiver before that ball was actually touched by anybody. I think you could make that argument. But here in Tampa, we like
0: to call Bucks win. They're six and two o'clock. Six and two. Yeah, you could make that argument, of Malcolm Butler. I'm not making that argument, of Malcolm Butler. And since Ian mentioned Daniel <laughs> Jones, quick thing on Daniel Jones. I think the Giants got a problem with this quarterback. That's 36 turnovers now in 21 games. Makes, he can make some big plays, but, man, he makes a lot of mistakes. No one seemed to disagree with that. Okay, and, You know, <laughs> the question is, Clark, Clark, the question
1: is, can he learn from it? You know, Jameis Winston, year five, he didn't learn. He's yeah, still right. doing it, year five, trying to make a play where there's no play. So I'll give Jones another
0: year, Clark. I, I, I wouldn't toss him out with the bathwater. I'm not tossing them out because they don't have anyone else, but I'm just saying they're they're really sort of disturbing signs there because I thought he was ready for takeoff. He seems to have plateaued, but I thought it was interesting after that game, what Mike Evans said. And he said, this is the kind of game we would not have won in the past, meaning Tom Brady's made a big difference. Okay, I want to move on to a couple other things. The trade deadline. Ira, we've already seen what's happened, Uh, Quan Alexander being traded, the Chargers trading uh, a defensive back. Um, I guess my question to you Andy Ian would be, what about New England? I mean, New England's 2-5, and they're in the midst of a four-game losing streak. I do think that they ought to start taking a look at Jared Stidham because Cam Newton is three weeks without a touchdown pass. I think you know what you've got with him. If I'm going to be bad, and Ian, I'll be honest with you because I know you're a Patriots fan – to me, be bad young, don't be bad old. And I'd like to find out what they've got in the future. But I also think they should start thinking about trading some of these guys away. Although you and I both know that's not Belichick's way. I don't think he's gonna do it. I think he's gonna stay the course. And this just in, Tom Brady, six and two. Bill Belichick, two and five.
2: No, I I agree
1: with you, Clark. And um, yeah, uh, uh, just quickly, Ian, uh, I agree with Clark. I don't think Belichick will empty the house. Uh, probably because he thinks he can turn this thing around, which I don't think he can. But, Ian, as the Patriots, you know, keep going in this 2020 season, Brady's 2019 season in Foxborough looks a heck of a lot better because look what he did with no receivers, and they still got no receivers, 24 touchdowns, eight picks. You know, Ian, uh, Brady looks even better in retrospect.
2: No, I, I, I agree. And, and I was pounding the table all last year, you know, asking people, where where do you see the decline because of his age? Because what I'm seeing is a guy who, you know, struggled with the circumstances around him. And and of course, people are like, oh, well, you're a Patriots fan. Of course, you're making excuses for Tom Brady. But I saw the same zip in the ball. I saw the same um, ability to, to maneuver in the pocket at his age. People say he's not mobile, but you know, I, I can, I can maybe argue he's the most mobile quarterback inside a pocket that I've ever seen in my life right. and, and he, and he still has it. So, um, I, I think that's being validated this year. Uh, you see what happens and, and look, the, 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 Bucks haven't been without their injury troubles. I mean, Chris Godwin's played every other game. Mike Evans is banged up. Um, you had, uh, Mickens who had, had caught uh, three passes his entire career being the leading receiver last night for, for a large portion of that game. So, uh, Brady still got it and I I think a lot of people who follow the Patriots didn't adjust their expectations enough when he left because of the impact that he had. So we're we're seeing it on, on two different teams right now.
0: In last six games, Brady, twenty touchdown passes, one interception. It's,
2: <laughs> it's... and, and, and the Patriots the
0: Patriots this year. The quarterback this year, I think have three touchdown passes, mm-hmm. 11 interceptions. Anyway, um, I want to move Ira to something that I saw yesterday. It's an important story and a report that if games are canceled because of COVID, if we don't have some games because of COVID, so we have, a let's say, a 14-game season or a 13-game season, that we might and maybe will go to a 16-game playoff format for the NFL and before people go, oh, my God, what's going on here? I would remind them, and you would too, we did this in 1982 when we had the strike-shortened season. And I think it was an, off the top of my head a, a nine-game season. All I know is I covered a team that didn't win a game. It, it game. was. It was. I think yep. they were 08-1. But that was a 16-game format, and it worked out fine. It worked out fine. My question would be to you, you have any problem with the 16-game tournament? Well, I hope it doesn't
1: come to that, Clark, and so do you, because it would mean that COVID's played a more dominant role in the 2020 NFL season, and it's already played a fairly significant role. I don't want to see it happen, right. but I would understand it if they feel they have no options. But I remember, you know, Clark, that 82 season, I believe the Bucks got in at 5-4, and four, uh, they proceeded to get blown out by the uh, Cowboys, I believe, in in the playoffs, and that's what's going to happen. You know, you you're going to have some eight and eight teams get in uh, sure. and and be no factor. But Clark, you got to do what you got to do at some point.
0: Yeah, but kind of like baseball. Remember, Major League Baseball, the Astros had a losing season this year, right? Weren't they one game under five hundred? I think so. Be- I think so. American League Championship game. Anyway, okay. Now I want to move on to the election, and I'm talking about the um, voting we've got to do. And the voting is to cut a field of 130 um, introductory candidates, uh, preliminary candidates to 25 semifinalists. We do this every year, except the field is much larger this year, 130. We got a notification within the past week to cut that list down to 25. We're going to do it differently this year than we have any other year. We're doing it electronically. Now, previously, just for our listeners, we had done it with... Uh, a ballot that you could write in, or you could do it by email or whatever. This time we're doing it electronically and the votes must be in by November 14th. And I think they're gonna announce, they typically have announced the results on Thanksgiving week. And I think it might be the night before Thanksgiving, that Wednesday before. Anyway, um, it it seems difficult. It's not really that hard. I don't think, I think you could cut it to to 30 or 25 right now. But what people should know is we're gonna get some first time uh semifinalists because there are no coaches involved. The coaches have their own category this year for the first time. So there are no coaches that could take up space. And last year, for instance or two years ago, we had uh Flores and Coriel in there. So there are two at least spots open for any new semifinalists. I'm gonna ask you, do you is there anyone on this list, guys who haven't made it, that you would like to see get at least to that first tier to the 25 semifinalists and get a chance at least to be one of the 15 finalists.
1: Clark, to me, one of the most intriguing names on the list, and I don't believe he's ever advanced to the 25 semifinalists, is Randall Cunningham. Randall Cunningham, while his complete body of work isn't as consistent as you'd like it to be at the position, he was spectacular at his peak. Spectacular. Um, And he wasn't just a great running quarterback. The guy threw a lot of touchdown passes and led Philly to a lot of wins, Clark. So I want to take a look at him, at least get him in the 25 for whatever reason, Clark, he hasn't been able to get
0: there to this point. Agree with you. I'll mention somebody else, another Philadelphia player, but not known as a Philadelphia player, a guy covered in San Francisco, Ricky Waters, running back. And I remember seeing Ricky Waters in Seattle, I think it was 2000, 2001, and we were talking about the Hall of Fame. He goes, "I'm a Hall of Fame player." I said, "Geez, Ricky, I I don't know. Um, I I look at your stats, yeah." And he said, "You know, have you seen my stats? He said, yeah, I look at them. But you had an impact in San Francisco. If you just stayed there, instead you chased the money. I'm not faulting you for that, but you went to teams that really didn't do anything, and the 49ers was still there." And he said, "But my numbers." I said, "But it's more than numbers. It, it's about having an impact, and and um, I, but." I will say the fact that he's not ever been a semifinalist is sort of ridiculous. Um, I mean, Leslie O'Neill been a semifinalist once. I covered him too. He has 132 and a half sacks, as many as Lawrence Taylor. He's been a semifinalist once. I don't talk about these guys getting in the Hall of Fame. I mean, just getting to the next level, the semifinals. They should have a chance at least. Ben Coates, the tight ends, another guy, Cornelius Bennett, never been semifinalist. Anyway. Um, we're going to do that. And um, that's, as I said, November 14th, the cutoff. So uh, have you done your voting on there? Oh, already I have not. Um, you know, speaking of Ricky Waters, my
1: recollection, Clark, and I didn't see him all that much, but he was a heck of an exciting talent. And when oh, the tremendous. ball was in Ricky Waters' hands,
0: I always felt he could go 70 yards on any particular play, Clark. He could. He could. And he was the perfect guy for the 49ers because not only was a good running back, he was a great receiver coming out of the backfield. And what hurt him is when he went to Philadelphia and very early in his career, might have been a first or second game, he short armed a ball and someone asked him about it afterwards. He said for who or for what? That followed him the rest of the career. Okay, this guy's not going to do anything except for Ricky Waters. One should want to mention one other thing. Um, former Dartmouth kicker, guy that I'm partial to because I went to Dartmouth, Nick Lowry. <laughs> we've gotten a lot of we've gotten a lot of mail. Um, on behalf of Nick Lowry lately, I look at some of those numbers on his, and, and the supporters are talking about Nick Lowry versus Morton Anderson and Jan Stenerud. He does compare favorably. Why wouldn't he be a semifinalist? Now, I have no illusions of grand here. Or, or he ain't going to make it, but I'll tell you what, I think he's going to get my vote. I, I, I'd i like to see another specialist get in there.
1: He in was the outstanding. He's a
0: semifinalist.
1: Outstanding for a long period of time, Clark. When you, when you match him up against Stenerud, different era. Mm. But roots
0: numbers can't match it. They just can't match it. Ah, I hear that music. And I know what it means, Ira. In keeping with this election edition of the I-Test for Two, we're going to open the polls. Uh, Ira and I, for your information, are going to cast ballots on the next 10 questions while Ian, yes, Ian, our producer, is going to serve as a tiebreaker. If there's a question about winner or loser this, Ian's going to jump in and say, well, this is what I think. So it's pretty simple to uh, understand. I guess that means Ian either knows how to read hanging chads or he doesn't like the two of us fighting anyway. No mail-in ballots here. Tom Brady's not gonna be doing any counting. We're just simply gonna roll with these 10 questions. And if you guys are ready, Ira, sounds pretty easy, right, Ian? Ready to roll. We're ready to roll. Okay, question number one. Who's the next senior you'd put in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? A, Ken Riley. B. Randy Gratishar. C. Al Wistert. Or D. Other.
1: Ken Riley. The late, great Ken Riley. In 65 interceptions. Uh, You can throw out some statistics.
0: You can't throw out 65 interceptions. Ken Riley. Okay. Nice, Sarah. Disagree. Al Wistert. Nine seasons. Eight All Pro nominations two championships all decade what the heck are we missing here ian i guess and you- that means you
2: have to weigh in i swear i'm not showing favoritism but i love me 65 interceptions and give me ken riley i'm with ira on this one
0: ladies and gentlemen the eye test for two <laughs> next question who's the next coach you'd put in the pro football hall of fame a don Coriel? b buddy parker C, Mike Holmgren, and D, Dick Vermeil. Now, this excludes Tom Flores, who's the senior, I mean, who's the uh, uh, coaching candidate for 2021. Forget about him. I said, Coriel, Parker, Holmgren, or Vermeil. Ira? You've worn me down, Judge. You've worn me down. I'm going with Buddy Parker,
1: who you covered in the 40s. I understand that. But um, he did have that record against Paul Brown, and it doesn't get any better than Paul Brown. I'm going with Buddy Parker.
0: Give that man a busting can. Yeah, I coached Buddy Parker when he was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Ira? I'm going to disagree. I'm going Don Coriel for this reason. Rick Goslin, who's been in that room a long time, longer than you and I, always told me respect the queue. And Buddy Parker would be the guy I put in, except for Don Coriel is in that queue. The six time finalists are three more than Jimmy Johnson, Bill Cower, and Tom Flores. Combined Johnson and Cower in Flores has been nominated for 2021. What's the deal with Don Coriel? And I'm afraid he's going to get left behind. But I got no problem with Buddy Parker. I've got no problem with him. So Ian, I'll let you stay aside for this one. I'm not. I'm not unhappy with Ira. If he wants to say that, I don't want to hear the eye test for two again. I don't. Okay, your favorite Super Bowl city: A. New Orleans, B. Tampa, C. Any place that has 24-hour takeout at Taco Bell, or D. Other.
1: Absolutely the Crescent City, my friend. The Big Easy. The Bowl of Gumbo. You can stop at Category A. New Orleans is the quintessential Super Bowl city.
0: Yeah, maybe. But not mine. I got D, (laughs) other. San Diego. There's a reason they call it America's finest city. Okay, Ian.
2: Well, I'm a little partial to New Orleans because it was was the place – when the Patriots won their first Super Bowl, it brings back many memories of some of my younger days. Uh, I again, I'm siding with the guy who shares the same initials. Me,
1: outstanding, Ian. You know, Clark, I proposed to my wife at the Cafe Dumont.
0: It's got personal meaning to me. Uh, then you should be excluded from this. You should have recused <laughs> yourself. Okay, the epicenter of today's sports is a Los Angeles. B, Tampa. Well, I can guess where I was going to go with this. C, anywhere Kevin Cash is not. Or D, other. Uh,
1: you know, uh, B, you, you called it uh, Tampa. I mean, getting to the World Series, having the Stanley Cup, you know, getting trundled around town, and the Bucks possibly being the best team in the NFC. It's Tampa, baby. It's always the big guava, Tampa. <laughs> Or the big guava. <laughs> what do you
0: got? What going, do you got, Clark? I'm going D other. I'm going anywhere analytics is not. <laughs> really, there's no reason to make a simple game complicated, as uh you and Blake Snell would know. Okay, Ann, go ahead.
2: Well, I'm going to go other too, but I'm going to kind of agree with Ivor here because I'm going to say it's of anywhere course. Tom Brady is. I don't care if he's in Tampa, if he's in San Diego, if he's in Winnipeg. That's the center of the sports world because guess what? It's no coincidence that he's in Tampa now. All of a sudden, you got the Stanley Cup champions, you got the World Series uh, participants, and you got a team poised to go to the Super Bowl.
0: All right, Ira, got another leading question for you. Best team in the NFL. A Pittsburgh, B Seattle, C Kansas City, or D the Big Guava Tampa. I'm going to go
1: with I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I think they're flying a little bit under the AFC radar now that the Steelers are the only unbeaten team. Uh, Steelers, I think, have the best defense in football with the Bucks maybe number two. But don't sleep on the Chiefs. I don't even think they've played that well this year. And, and they're seven and one. I think in a showdown, I'm going with Mahomes over uh, an old Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, I'm not.
0: Best team in the NFL era. I'm going Brady and Giselle, especially since Antonio Brown's not living in their house. Okay, Ian.
2: <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm i projecting a little bit here, and this is assuming Chris Godwin gets healthy and Antonio Brown uh, keeps it together within the locker room. There, there's nothing in my mind that tells me that that the Bucks with Tom Brady and, and some of the defensive playmakers, Antoine Winfield included, aren't the best team in the NFL.
0: Okay, let's move on to... Well, the Jets may not win a game this year. The Jets, J-E-S-T, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, yeah. J-E-S-T, jest, jest, jest. <laughs> um, so how do you fix them? A, fire Adam Gase, B, fire the GM, C, fire the players, or D, hire Chip and Joanna Gaines. What about that, Art? I think the league uh, issues an edict. Uh,
1: ownership change. Ownership change. Clark, when you're that bad for that long, your owner stinks, and I don't care what Johnson is at the helm of the Jets. I don't like any Johnson in
0: that respect. <laughs> Get rid of the Johnsons. Well, I guess I'm there with you because I think uh, I think they should hire Vladimir Putin. You know why? Because they never <laughs> lose. That's why they'd never lose. <laughs> um, speaking of the Jets, what should Trevor Lawrence do if and when he's drafted by the J E S T? Jess, Jess, Jess. Ira, a go for it. B, stay in school. C, get designated for F. Does anyone even know what that means anymore? I would hope so. Or D, other. He should uh, catch the next flight uh, to Newark Airport
1: and report to the Jets. And I'll tell you why. He's got nothing to lose. Low expectations with that organization. But if he's really good and they win six games next year, he's going to own that town. Absolutely own it. Uh, Another bright star on Broadway might get his picture on the cover of Sports Illustrated, like that famous Broadway Joe. I think it's all upside for Trevor Lawrence with the Jets. Nothing to
0: lose. No surprise here, Ira. I disagree with you. I'm going other. I'd contact the Mannings. You know what? They got Eli to New York. They could get Trevor out of there. I'd contact the Mannings. I think it's a no-win situation for this guy. Okay, Ian, what ask you?
2: I want if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I want nothing to do with the Jets Um, a, a, a aside from a, a complete overhaul from ownership to coaching to uh, giving them a new stadium elsewhere. I, I don't want anything to do with the Jets. If I'm Trevor Lawrence, I stay in school or okay, or so facilitate facilitate a trade somehow. So
0: somehow, yeah, get somewhere other than the Jets. OK, Ian, Ira, two or oh, no, three more questions. Best coach in the NFL, a Bill Belichick. B. Andy Reid, C. Pete Carroll, or D. Tom Brady. <laughs> well, Brady is calling the shots at one buck place. Of I don't is. care what I
1: don't care what Bruce Arians says about him not having anything to do with Antonio Brown. That's going to be one of the great quotes of the year, Clark. Yeah. But look, Belichick's two and five, but he's still built Belichick. So until he uh, resigns uh, and he's going to have a bust in Canton first
0: ballot, uh, I'm still going with Belichick. Two and five, be damned. I'm not. I'm going Brady. Six and two. Belichick's two and five. Ira, follow the breadcrumbs, <laughs> would you please?
2: Ian, I I would. There's nothing I'd I'd want more than to give Brady more credit than I already do. But uh, I yeah, I got I got to go with Belichick here. I, I think he's taking a, a a lot of heat that he doesn't really deserve right now. Although he deserves some, but he he's still the best.
0: My guess is you guys
2: talked before this podcast, right? <laughs> I got an envelope
0: going Ian's way in a couple of days. <laughs> I'm going down, baby. Who has your vote for NFL commissioner? The next NFL commissioner, Ira. Would it be A, Peyton Manning? B, Rich McKay? Three, a Rooney? I mean, any Rooney. Any Rooney. Andy Rooney. I don't care. Any Rooney. Or D, anyone but Kevin Cash? I'm going to go with D, Susan Rice.
1: Susan Rice, a voice of reason. She's a sports fan. Let's get her in there. I thought she was going to be biden's nominee for vice president she fell a little short
0: um but susan rice working at park avenue i like it i like it too not enough though Ira. i'm going with mike Pereira, last week's guest you know why because then we could talk you and he could talk you off the ledge with past interference and wouldn't have this conversation about what happened last night okay ian
2: uh i'll throw another one out there anyone but roger goodell i'll be happy with <laughs> Hey, you I'm go. all for that. All right. <laughs> last question. Mercifully, we've come to this last question. Florida
0: is a key swing state. You guys know it because you live there, you work there. It's a key swing state in today's election. So who wins it? A, Donald Trump, B, Joe Biden, C, Randy Arazzarina? or D, the Supreme Court? Ira? I believe Trump ekes out
1: a narrow win in the sunshine state. Doesn't mean he's going to win the election. But when the reports come in Tuesday night, I believe it'll be Trump takes
0: Florida. Well, I'm going Supreme Court. So again, once again, <laughs> because Iris, we learned a long time ago, and as you have told me a long time ago, never, ever take on a judge, if you know what I mean. I understand. I believe our guest might be ready. So it's coming up, Clark, coming up. OK. All right. Well, thank guys. Thank you. Pick up your I Voted stickers on your way out because uh, it seems like a good place to stop and go to a break. But when we return, we'll see your former tight end Anthony Beck voted, too, as well as get his thoughts on the Jets, the Bucks, and the NFL. This is the I Test for Two on FullPressRadio.com. Well, we promise you, Anthony Beck, and he's here with us now. You might remember Anthony as I do as a first round draft pick of the New York Jets in 2000, or maybe, maybe you remember him as Ira does as a tight end with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where he played three years. Uh, Anthony's been busy since leaving the NFL, he's been doing a lot of things, a lot of media things, actually, working as the college football analyst for ESPN co-hosting, I think, Anthony, you can correct me if I'm wrong, your own program on the Home Shopping Network, um, serving as an assistant with the defunct Alliance of American Football League. He was in San Diego and now acting as a co-host of the Spit and Fire video podcast. And we are glad to have him with us here now. Anthony, thanks so much for joining us. You're on with Clark and Ira.
3: Yeah. Pleasure guys. You know, listen, I always make time for my guy, Ira. It's good to meet you, Clark. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm honored to be on and get the uh, invite. How long has this been going on? I feel has it been like six years and I've just finally gotten on, or did you just started this year? And I'm one of those priority guests. Ira, what, what is it?
1: This is uh, it's fairly new. It's fairly new. And, uh, Clark, let me tell you a quick story about Mr. Beck. Um, when he was with the Buccaneers and the Bucks had good teams at that time, um, uh, there would be games when Beck would catch, you know, three balls for, uh, you know, 37 yards. Uh, the Bucks would win, and uh, Beck would be the first guy I'd go to in the locker room. And, like, Beck's looking at me like, what are you doing here, man? We, we got Joey Galloway. We, we got this guy. We got that guy. And, Clark, you're an old writer like I am. You go for the guy who's articulate, who's <laughs> honest, and who's going to tell you what the heck just happened in the previous three hours. And for me, that was Anthony Beck, Clark.
0: Yeah, it's funny since I've talked about Anthony being a tight end. When I covered the 49ers, Brent Jones was a go-to guy. And when I covered San Diego, Kellen Winslow was a go-to guy. Um, Anthony, let's get to you. I I, want to ask you, first of all, I was looking at your Twitter handle and included in there. It said, tight ends guru. So my question to you is, what exactly is a tight ends guru? And can anybody be one? And how do you get to be
3: one? No, not everybody can be one. Uh, You know, I I self labeled myself that. But here's the thing I played 12 seasons in the NFL. I came into the NFL as a complete tight end, a guy that can catch, can run, can pass protect. Um, But, you know, when you come into the NFL, you want to catch balls, you want to become that guy. And I wasn't really a refined blocker, I was a good college blocker. You know, my speed kind of went down a bit as I got into my sixth, seventh, eighth years. And I knew that if I didn't, maximize my skill set at something then i'd be out of the league quickly so you know knowing all that stuff and, and and having that information and being around some great coaches you know ken Wisenhunt played the game a coach at a high level he was my initial uh, tight end coach with the jets uh you know coaches like phil petty who you know probably had a short stint in the nfl didn't know him but he, he was just well groomed in the details uh, ron middleton who was in tampa bay who played the game for 10 years on the nastier side not more or less the passing side And just accumulating information. I was good at listening and taking it in. I was not a guy that was going to question stuff and say, why this, this, and that. I like to get the knowledge from multiple people. So when I say guru, if you maximize your skill set on all those levels and compact it into just the tight end position, that makes you a guru. You know it all. And I was able to sprinkle and coach a little bit. Uh, And I love it. I love coaching. As a matter of fact, I I would say that I would put myself up to any tight end coach that's out there and it's not a disrespectful thing. I just, you know, to do that full time and to go all in, that's a big commitment. I kind of like the TV, the media thing, but I'm dabbling into some high school stuff now. It's been really fun teaching at the lowest level. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I just I know the position. I love it. I love watching it. And it's just allowed me to grow within the framework of football, the line that the you know, see the eyes of the quarterback, how they see things. I always try to gather that information.
0: Well, it sounds like telling me you could teach anyone to play that position. Could you teach Ira?
3: I could teach him now. You know, if there's there's a intangible tangible side of it that I you know like, he would pick up exactly what I'm saying, but to actually go out there and do it at a level would be obviously one thing. But I could teach him. He, I, I, you give me a week, Ira, I could give you be I, I could get you pretty close to knowing more than a lot of the tight ends know right now playing in the league, which is is not you know. Don't uh,
1: Anthony, uh, you don't sell a Brooklyn boy short. You don't you don't sell a Brooklyn boy <laughs> no short. You know I'll, give you
3: the, I'll give you all the keys.
1: A.B., I got a quick question uh, about the evolution. And sometimes the word evolution, it's not always positive of the tight end position. Anthony, you know, today, nobody talks about blocking tight ends. Nobody. I mean, everybody's looking at Antonio Gates. Everybody's looking at Kelsey, you know, guys like this. So, Anthony, give give me a couple of guys in today's game that you consider a complete
3: tight end. Um, Well, we have one in Tampa, you know, Gronkowski's uh, anybody that turns the tape on and you watch the game last night and I'm I'm glad Greasy brought it up. He clearly watches film because I know how Greasy works for a broadcast. He's doing it at the line of scrimmage. I mean, he's pass protecting, he's blocking and it's not safeties. It's not the the corner on the weak side. You know, he's blocking defensive ends. He's doing it well. He understands it. He's got good technique. He's not blowing guys off the ball. But he's keeping guys in front of him, and he's taken away a huge part of what defenses lean on—is that defensive end position. Number one, he—he he, he sticks out to me because I have to watch and, and study those guys every week. Uh, George Kittle's another guy. You know, I—I I knew George a long time. Uh, you know, calling Iowa games when he first came in and became a, this kid that you know was going to be a weapon and wasn't really acknowledged as a big-time tight end at you know really at Iowa, just a, a featured guy, and. The jump he's made, he understands that, you know, to be a complete tight end and to do all the traits and stay on the field and be a guy, you don't have to bring in an extra tackle and has really elevated him. And of course, Kyle Shanahan has utilized his size and speed and made him a a target. They force fed him to become a uh, just a gifted tight end. And he's brought the physical and the attitude and the things that you want to do um you know and then and then there's that other wave of guys you know they're the route running guys you know kelsey to me uh you know he doesn't have to block he's not asked to block much you know he can get in front of a guy he doesn't do it masterfully but you know he's he's a he's a mismatch problem and that's kind of what teams are looking for right now i promise you this though ira their teams want the complete tight end they're they're still looking for that guy and when they find them it's that's huge for, for any offense across the league. I don't care if it's spread, shot, whatever you're doing, they want those guys. And when they find them, when they're hard to find, they'll they'll swallow them up. But those are two right now off the top of my head that are just, you know, they do it at a different level, man. And, and, and you see it. Gronkowski uh, Gronkowski's on the field for everything. And he was when OJ was there, and he's now when OJ is not, and he's still running routes from a technician standpoint better than a lot of tight ends right now in the league. Uh
0: Anthony, are you in Tampa?
3: Yes. Yeah. Been in Tampa as uh well, it's just 16. 16 years now. So, uh, wow. you know, it's been my home and uh, uh, we love, love it down here. Yeah, I,
0: I didn't realize I was on the Tampa 3 broadcast here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <I'm> Number here. <laughs> hey, I want to go to the jugular here uh, and, and really uh, get down to the nitty gritty about the J-E-T-S, Jets, oh, Jets, man. Jets. Now, <laughs> you were there when Mike Westhoff was a special teams coach. And I covered Mike way back when, when he was in Baltimore and there were the Colts there and Mike was coaching with Frank Cush. I love Mike, I've seen him many times, he used to live in New York, I'd see him on the streets and talk to him. And this week he was talking to the New York Post and, and he basically was asked about, what's wrong with this team? He said, well, you know, they need to fix it by taking an exterminator to that building and getting rid of everything and everyone. I, I don't wanna talk to Mike about this because I know how he feels. I'm gonna ask you about it. Um, if you were running that team how would you fix the ball club? Because I don't think they're going to win a game this year. What would you do to fix the New York Jets?
3: Well, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, they've been saturated with uh, a ton of injuries this year. You know, anytime your quarterback who's young and still developing has to go out there and throw balls to guys that, you know, should be on the practice squad and not on the football field, you know, that, that's a problem. Uh, I really like Joe Douglas. I, I think so far he, he struck gold with – Uh, at least three of the rookies that he drafted in his first class, Mackay Becton, clearly uh, him and Tristan worse, are probably the two uh, young budding stars at the tackle position. And Becton's the only guy that actually can play left tackle right now. And he's been dominant doing it. So that, that's a, that's a huge pull there. Denzel Mims finally getting on the field, seven games into the season. Uh, I labeled him as a first round receiver. He got there. He got picked up later by them. I thought it was a great pick. He's starting to get into the mix, but you know listen, they just uh you know they they've lost uh key players on the defensive side. Uh they got rid of McClendon because of the fact that their season's kind of going down where it's at. Uh, how would you fix it? I mean, look, you got to get more players, you got to draft more guys. Joe Douglas is loading up on the draft picks, they're trying to, you know, get things situated. They may or may not have the number one pick in the in this year's draft. And if that's the case, you know, you're talking about a huge decision. You can go with Trevor Lawrence. And, and try to, you know, make it work there because everybody's saying he's the generational kid, or you make the Herschel Walker trade of a lifetime and you go out there and you go get every piece you need to put around your quarterback. So, um, you know, I don't think they're as far as people see them. I think there are some key spots and some some health issues that they have. I'm not going to make excuses for them. You know, there's teams out there that are banged up and still winning football games, but let's be honest, if you're not a full force, you're not going to win games in the NFL when you need to. So, uh, you know, let, let's see what happens. Uh, you know, Mike's a Mike, good friend of mine. I, Mike was there when I was there, and then he stayed in with the, the Rex Ryan years. Uh, you know, Mike Mike pretty much, if you ask Mike, he invented every single uh, kickoff return, punt block, <laughs> you're doing it successful. He's going to tell you he invented it, which is great because I love him. He had awesome stories. I love sitting in the special teams meetings. Even if I wasn't on the special teams that day, I would come in early just to listen. You know, he'd get in that chair and he'd put his hand on his chin like this and he'd start reeling all stories. And I would just – I'd love it. It was great. But, uh, you know, he's passionate about the Jets. When he was there, we won. When I left, they got the two AFC championships. They were the best special teams and in, in the NFL, you know, or at least top five, you know, he's got a little pride for what they're doing. I, I have some pride for him. I played there for five years. They drafted me. I mean, I got to cover him every single Sunday for the last, you know, five years. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tragic to see it go down, but I'm a realist. I understand they don't have the pieces yet. And whether you win two games this year or you lose all of them, either way, it doesn't matter. You're not accomplishing anything at this point. So they're still building. Let's, let's see what happens after this draft and this free agency period. They got a ton of cap money, and Ira knows he's seen teams bounce real quick, and they get some pieces in the right place. And the other big question is: Is Gase the guy? You know that that's yeah. that's something that you know I'm not quite sure. I mean, uh, he's t- took away the play calling, uh, passed it on to Dell Loggins. They've been okay, but they're still not scoring touchdowns. Again, I think that's a uh, he's got kind of a hidden uh, excuse there because he hasn't had all the pieces there, and you, you're trying to gauge: Okay, is he the is he the guy? Is Sam regressing? If you don't go with Sam, you get a quarterback, a Trevor Lawrence lands in your lap. Is he the guy you want moving forward? So those are key and and, and decisions that will have to be made for sure right off the jump. But I think, you know, in general, uh, the way they're aligned organizationally from picks and money wise, uh, you know, they they have a chance to, to you know, they could probably be, be a 500 team next year if things go the way they want it to go.
0: Okay. A quick follow-up question. I, I, I want yeah. one quick follow-up question. If and um, you mentioned Gase. I mean, Gase, since he's been there, has had more double digit losses, eight, than he has wins, which is seven. So I would wonder whether you would bring him back. I think most people in New York say no, absolutely not. And then secondly, if in fact they do have the number of one pick, which I think they will have, what advice would you give Trevor Lawrence?
3: Well, Trevor, you know, look, he needs to come out. You know, whatever situation he's going to, it's not going to be a great one. I mean, when you're the best and you're the top draft pick, normally you don't go to a really good team, and you got to go through. It. You just got to make sure pieces are in place from the top, starting with the GM, that you're all on the same page. Those conversations will be had. You know, Joe Douglas is not a dummy. This is his first time as a GM, but he's been under Ozzie Newsome. He's been under guys. Uh, that, that you know, have a, a legitimate Howie Rosen he was under. He He's learned from some of the best GMs out there with the longest tenure. So, you know, he's got to make those decisions and make those calls. But, you know, those will be some things that they'll talk about. As far as if Adam Gase is the guy, you know, I'm not quite sure. You know, I, I wish I could evaluate him with everybody out there. You know, is it fair not to? Is it, You know, can the team be more competitive? Is that on him? You know, are they lacking effort? I don't know if I see lacking of effort. I just don't see a I don't see playmakers out there. And I don't yeah. know if, if, you know, uh, Vince Lombardi was out there, he'd be able to get anything going with these guys right now. So it is a tough call, but you know, this is a, a win now business. There, there's no room for excuses and the jets will have to make that decision moving forward. But either way, no matter what happens, they're going to have better players and more players next year. And hopefully they don't get the injury curse like they've had the last couple seasons. Anthony, one more from me, Anthony, thanks for doing this. Um,
1: And we're, we're at the halfway point, a B. Uh, so you follow this league very closely, all the teams. So I'm going to ask you directly at the midpoint, who's the best team Steelers, Chiefs, Bucks, Seahawks,
3: who you got? (laughs) Well, that's a good final four for sure. I, I can, I can buy that. Uh, I think right now, I think right now there's an edge for the Chiefs over the Steelers. Um, you know, I think the Steelers have played exceptional. You know, Mike Tomlin has obviously proven himself as one of the great coaches uh, in the NFL. Uh, you know, shout out to him. I think, I believe he surpassed Tony Dungy for the most wins by an African American coach, which, you know, knowing him, Ira, when he was in Tampa and coaching DBs, who would have thought that that was his path and he was going to be that guy? Um, you know, he, he gets that team to play hard. You know, Big Ben has done some really good things since being back. They got some nice pieces in place. I just don't know if they have enough pieces. I don't know if their defense can actually stop the Chiefs' weapons. You know, Sammy Watkins hasn't been playing for the last couple of weeks. You add him to the fold. Uh, you know, Le'Veon Bell, although he's not going to change anything for you, what he does do is when he's out there and say you're in an empty situation – the fifth best guy is guarding him. So he's going to be better than that guy always. So, you know, you have advantages all over. And there's really, you know, if you play cover two, they're going to hand the ball off to uh, Edwards. Um, Hilaire. 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 Yeah. And he's going to have a huge game. And if you try to get up in there and man to man, they're going to gut you like they did against the Jets, uh, you know, when they tried to press and and do some coverage things uh, in a man to man scheme. So uh, I would say right now, Kansas City to me is still the best team in the NFL, at least in the AFC, as far as the NFC. And I know you wanted me to pick one. I'm not. I'm not sold yet on the Bucks, but I promise you this: they're getting there. The only reason why is because you know, they're still growing. You know, I, there's little things that I see in in uh, you know an offense that I'm not quite sure are there yet, and they can still be there, which would make them even better. And of course, you add now the whole AB project. How is that going to blend in? You know, everybody thinks, well, you got all these weapons, but it is key to have a play caller that can utilize them properly. And I want to see how Leftwich does all that because right now he's got a lot of weapons. And again, it's, it's, it's okay. It's, it's been good at times, but you know, last night's game or whenever this is getting aired, the Monday night game, you know, I don't know if that was the best calling performance of Byron left, uh, career either. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it shakes out, but I, I'd say the bucks are right there. Seattle, obviously with Russell Wilson, what they do, DJ uh, DK Metcalf. I mean, he, he can't be stopped and everybody knows he's getting the ball, but their defense is lacking. So, you know, uh, teams will be able to score. So, um, I think AFC right now has the strongest case to being the be- having the best teams uh, over the NFC, but I think both sides are going to give you you know at least by the time that comes that you know Bucks could be rolling and be that dangerous team that can that can potentially beat them.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you, Anthony, and I'm glad you mentioned that because the. Seattle defense really concerns me, especially the pass defense. I know they got Carlos Dunlop, but they don't have much of a pass rush, and that concerns me, and that's why I lean more towards Tampa. So I'll bring this conversation full circle here with this last question. You talked about last night's game in a stadium that you're familiar with. Well, I guess it wasn't that at that time, but at the MetLife Stadium, that site at least was uh, where the Giants and the Jets played. But that game last night between the Giants and the Bucs, the last significant play of the game the two-point conversion how did you see it because we started this podcast talking about it and, Ira and Ian said no harm no foul i really yeah. thought it was a pass interference how about you
3: you know i mean listen rarely do you get flags uh, picked up you know when when referees or officials see those things and they throw it you know obviously they saw something I mean, if you slow it down and you watch it, you know, I did I did feel like, uh, you know, Antonio Winfield uh, Jr. got there slightly early um, just because, uh, you know, it was misthrown by Daniel Jones. It allowed, you know, we see it all the time on deep throws when the a ball, uh, ball gets underthrown, the defensive back, the offensive guy stops and the defensive back runs into him. Now, it wasn't as, uh, you know, as bad as some of those situations, but in that moment, you know, it did disrupt. Uh, the the pass there. Now, he did hit the ball with his body. You know, people say, well, it hit his arm. Well, yeah, he wasn't trying to hit it with his arm. I don't know if his head was really around at that point. But there was a slight collision prior to him getting the ball. Would I have been terribly mad if they said, no, that was pass interference? No, because, you know, being an offensive guy, if a guy runs into you like that, he's running full steam ahead and the ball gets thrown behind, I think that I could have lived with that. Um, But, you know, uh, just watching that game, just how the flow was, Um, you know, I I felt like maybe the momentum uh, could have went their way there, but it didn't. So I I think that was a, I think that was a PI. It wasn't a hardcore PI. I don't think that, you know, like I said, I wouldn't have complained about it. I just feel like there was some contact there and it was before the ball got there. It was very slight, but it, you know, it was disruption to the play.
0: Uh, Ian and I have now changed his name to The Tampa 2 broadcast, not the Tampa 3. Thank you for (laughs) that insight, Anthony. Great talking to you. Great spending time with you. Um, Enjoyed it. Let's do it again sometime. Really appreciate it. You got it, guys.
3: Yeah, anytime.
0: Stay safe, AB. Thanks, Ira. Thanks, Anthony. And, of course, with Anthony Beck and uh, Ira, enjoyed what he had to say about uh, the league. And I'll be honest with you. I agree with him, and honestly, I'd agree with you, contrary to what I said in the 10 questions. But Kansas City, I do think is the team to beat. I think the Chiefs are probably the team to beat. And I don't think they've been on all cylinders, but another team to beat Clark
1: is a team that you used to cover. So what do you got to say about your uh, your old
0: 49ers, my friend? I think they're dead. I think they're dead. Losing Jimmy G and Kittle, finished. And I think they showed you that when they traded Quan Alexander. I realized he wasn't a start. and been hurt, but I, I don't see the 49ers going anywhere, especially in that division. I don't think there's any competition at the bottom half of that division with the Rams or the 49ers as there is with Arizona. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I think Arizona is a legitimate threat to Seattle because Seattle can't stop anyone. Um, And and you see that again and again. I realized last week the score was misleading, but still they give up so many points that if they were to play someone like Kansas City in the Super Bowl, Mahomes would tear them apart because they can't bring pressure to the front four anyway. I want Clark, to you're on. gonna you're gonna tell us uh, Clark. you're gonna tell us about a 49ers team that uh, that during their glory days my friend there you, you are correct sir because listen there's that crowd again you know and maybe they know something we don't about today's elections we want to bring that full circle to it. its election day or maybe it's just another intro to the week of I was there and that's what it is because I want to take you back as you mentioned Ira To week five of the 1994 season now, that would be October 2nd, 1994. And I would set this scene for you. It was Candlestick Park. 49ers were playing the Philadelphia Eagles. The 49ers won three of their first four games. They were supposed to play Philadelphia easily and win easily. Unfortunately, they lost. And they lost 40-8, to which was the worst loss of the George Seifert era. And and that might have been the story, except – the story was actually Steve Young getting pulled. He got pulled in the third quarter, uh, unbeknownst to him and everyone else, including in the press box. I mean, what's going on here? And, and rather than me explaining it, Ian, can you roll that audio? Because this is what happened.
1: The Eagles 33, San Francisco 8. Elvis Gerbach has taken Steve Young's place at quarterback. And I'm not sure what brought that about. He was hit a lot.
3: Well, you watch him here young he's ready to call a play the elvis gerback just comes running in you see gerback coming in here and now steve young looks and he says what the heck is this and he comes out and then elvis gerback takes the timeout. and just because it was third yeah. down coming up they must have thought something was wrong with steve young
0: well i'll tell you what was wrong they were getting waxed or getting killed and so was steve young he was getting hit a lot Didn't complete 50% of his passes. And George really looked at the big picture and said, we got to get him out of here. It's the fifth week of the season. We need this guy for the other 11 games this year. So he takes him out. Young goes to the sidelines, and he he goes past Seifert, goes to the bench, and he starts talking with the then-quarterbacks coach, Gary Kubiak, and he's hot because he doesn't understand it. No quarterback wants to be pulled. Then he starts yelling at Seifert, and it's pretty intense. But Seifert doesn't turn around and look at him. It's not a face-to-face confrontation, but Young is fired up. And afterwards, I remember talking to Brent Jones and we mentioned this because uh, I, we had Anthony Beck down here and I talked about Brent Jones and Kellen Winslow. Brent Jones said, you know what? I think that really galvanized the team. Brent and Steve were very close. I think that really galvanized the team because we saw Steve as such a nice guy and he got fired up about it. He got fired up. And it, it must have galvanized him because after that, guys, they won 10 straight games. The last game of the season was a so what game against Minnesota, they had already clinched the home field advantage. So they go to Minnesota. I think young played for a couple of series, maybe one quarter and then got pulled. All the starters got pulled. But after that game, including the playoffs, Steve Young had 35 touchdown passes and three interceptions. Yeah, he was a fiery leader and he galvanized everyone. But after that game, 35 touchdowns, three interceptions, he went on to become the league MVP, the offensive player of the year and the Super Bowl MVP, because they got to the Super Bowl. And of course, he went on to become a first ballot Hall of Famer. But Steve said in a video that i had seen recently, he never understood. it. He goes, fire leader, I've been around these guys all the time. He goes, you know what that taught me? It taught me a vital lesson of football. And that lesson is perception is reality. If you're perceived to be something, you might as well be it, because that's the truth in people's minds. And the truth here is that Steve Young got pulled for the right reason, Ira. I don't know if you remember it, but it saved that season for the 49ers. And if it galvanized the team, so be it. They went on to win the Super Bowl. That's a heck of a story, Mr. Judge. I didn't realize that uh, he got pulled.
1: Um, you know, Madden and, uh, and, and role. they must have thought he got hurt. But that was not the reason, Clark. No it's injury the right there.
0: Yep. No, no. It just, uh, the injury was to his uh, psyche, I think. And um, anyway, it, it was done for the right reason. Ira, final thoughts couple of quick ones my friend a shout out
1: 76th birth 72nd birthday lulu one of your favorites clark lulu to serve with love 72 years 67 to serve with love the number one single of 1967 clark when i see the end of that movie i cry every time i I gotta get a handkerchief i gotta get a tissue it's unbelievable all right second shout out and uh anthony beck mentioned this clark and and i think this might surprise you A shout-out to Mike Tomlin, who is very quietly building a heck of a resume. Never had a losing season, Clark. Never had a losing season. And and I'm leaving you with this. Guys who have coached at least 200 games, 200 games in the National Football League. Winning percentage. And like Ron Wolf tells us, it's all about winning, Clark, for a coach. Here are the guys that are ahead of them. George Hallis, Don Shula. Bill Belichick, Paul Brown, Tony Dungy, Tomlin .653, sixth place, four guys that are in the Hall of Fame and Belichick's going. That ain't too shabby, Clark. Tomlin is a heck of a coach.
0: Couldn't agree with you more. I was looking at his uh, resume this week as many Super Bowl wins as Bill Cowher. Better winning percentage of Bill Cower. Bill Cowher's in the Hall of Fame. I think one day we're going to see Mike Tomlin in the Hall of Fame. Oh, by the way, I started this by mentioning um, it's Election Day, right? And like I said, it's also National Sandwich Day. What's your favorite sandwich, Ira? PB&J,
1: my friend. That's what I grew up on. And, uh, you know, with a little whitefish on top. A little whitefish
0: on top.
2: What about you, Ian? <laughs> G- give me a nice Italian sub, toasted. Give me some oil and vinegar, some some red pepper relish and and... Have yourselves a day. That is a delicious sandwich.
0: Yeah, I'm going with the BLT. No mayo. Well, that's going to do it. Um, I'm getting hungry, guys. <laughs> I'm going to go get a BLT. You want to reach <laughs> Ira on Twitter? You can at Ira. Tell him where. At I, Kaufman 76 my friend. Correct. You want to reach me? You can at i. No, not IKaufman, at, at Clark Judge. T-O-F-E. You want to reach producer Ian Glendon? You can't. No, you can't. Ian, tell him where you can.
2: You can. It's it's actually at I i-g-l-e-n 31 there you go i almost forgot the numbers that i put at the end so one more time i-g-l-e-n 31
0: there you go well thanks for listening we'll see you next week and please everyone go out and vote today